Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you again this week, as always, to discuss a topic that is pertinent for us right now because we're in the middle of a new acquisition, and that is tailoring a deal. How do we structure a deal and what levers do we tug on to either optimize cash or maybe growth or taxes or some combination of two or maybe even a balance between all three? That's what we're going to talk about today and I hope you found it enjoyable. As always, if you have questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. And please swing by the uh, Learning Center at marapolling.com. We'll actually be posting a new webinar series this week. We've got a couple of new sessions coming up that are not live yet for registration, but they will be in the next few days. So swing by marapolling.com. That's M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com and check that out. Okay, we really like multifamily. We're long on multifamily. We think it provides a wonderfully secure and stable investment platform and can be used to generate cash income, create wealth for the future, and provide tax advantages that you don't get from stock investments and bonds and other sorts of vehicles like that. And not every multifamily deal is the same. Some of them are different by virtue of the kind of asset they are, but some of them are different because we simply build them differently. And that's what we want to talk about today is how we tailor a deal to achieve the objectives we have from the get-go. Now, our total return fund and the key tip off there is total return. Our total return fund is focused to be a secure, stable investment that has essentially a balanced performance between cash and growth and tax advantages. No one of those really is the dominant player. Hence, the kinds of assets we look at and the size and the kind of value add work we do and the debt structure, all of that is really tailored to give us that nice balanced return. But what if I wanted to do something different? What if I wanted to find a property where I could accentuate one of those return elements, either growth or cash or tax? So let's just take an example. Let's say that we're gonna go out and we wanna find an asset and structure an acquisition so that we can optimize cash flow. Uh, we're, we're not disregarding growth, we're not disregarding tax advantages, we're simply gonna focus on cash from the standpoint of that's really the leg of the stool, if you will, this three-legged stool that we want to have lead the pack when it comes to the financial operational performance of the asset. So how would we do that? Well, if we want to optimize cash, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to look to purchase a bargain. Or another way to say that is we're going to look to purchase a high cap rate asset, meaning that we're buying a lot of NOI for every dollar that we pay out. And remember, cap rates are inverse from price. So a low cap rate, right, like a five cap, means you're paying $20 for a dollar of NOI. 
A higher cap rate, like an 8 cap, means you're only paying $12.5 for that same dollar of NOI. And NOI is the machine that drives everything. It drives not only growth, but it also drives cash performance. So being able to purchase a higher cap rate asset is going to put us in a position where we can generate more cash. Now, how do you do that? Well, you could certainly just go into the market you would have gone into anyway and look for the same kind of asset you would have looked at for a balanced return and just negotiate better. Well, we try and negotiate really well on every acquisition, right? We always want to get the best price that we can. So that's not really a strategy to just try harder to get a lower price. What it means is looking at different kinds of assets or different markets. Now, one way to do that is to go down in terms of grade, right? So instead of a B or a B plus asset, you're looking more of a B minus asset or even a C plus asset that's gonna have that higher cap rate. So you're getting more value in terms of purchasing that NOI. And we, that's one way to do it, but we think you potentially take on some risks which fight with the security and stability element. So instead, we would look to find markets that still meet all of the criteria, all 17 criteria we have, but let's find a market where the market cap for that area is simply higher. So as opposed to purchasing in the Metroplex, for example, in Texas, where a five cap might rule the day for the kind of asset we're talking about, you move out to a secondary market where you can purchase it for a six cap or something north of a six cap. So that's a great way to go about getting that extra value when you're purchasing that NOI. Another is the size of the asset. The larger the asset is, the more efficiencies we get. We've talked about that in the past. But it also means the larger it is, the more capital I have to put in to drive improvements. Because if I'm, for example, going to do a $5,000 a door improvement, and I have the ability to purchase a 100-unit property or a 150-unit property, and they're both going to cost me the same. One's in a higher cap rate market, so I can pay less per door, but I get more doors and the other is in a low cap rate market where I pay more per door and I have fewer doors, well, in one instance, I'm going to put 5,000 times 100 doors as opposed to in the other, I'm going to put 5,000 times 150 doors. So I'm going to have to put more capital into that larger property. So while I get some efficiencies, I also have to put more capital in in order to drive those improvements. So I may want to look at playing around with different size assets in terms of how that's going to help drive the cash performance. And a lot of that has to do with the kind of value add that's available. Is there a big delta on existing rent regardless of value add? If there is, then value add may take a smaller role in the program. If on the other hand, it's pretty close to market, but there's a very clear demonstrated incremental rent opportunity for the right size value add work, well then that may become the way that we decide to move forward on that. And then the final piece of the puzzle, at least of the ones we're going to talk about today, would be debt. 
in terms of how we want to structure that debt. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you know we like having flexible debt. And that doesn't necessarily mean floating rate debt. It simply means debt that is structured in such a way that we have a lot of options for when we might exit. Uh, We could hold it longer term. We could get out at five years. We could sell it as an assumption. We could do a variety of different things. We could take some supplemental debt out. Uh, If we built up some lazy equity, we have a lot of uh, cards that we could play from that standpoint. In this instance, if we're trying to drive cash, we might trade some of those options off to get a lower rate so that we can really optimize the delta between the cap rate that we pay and the cost of the funds that we put into the deal. That combined with executing a value add plan could present a very nice cash return and still be done in a way that values the security and stability. So that's one way to go about structuring a deal. So another would be, let's go after growth, right? Let's, let's not be as focused on cash. Instead, let's pump up the growth. Let's create a lot of wealth. Well, as you could imagine, some of what we just described for cash, we turn around and go in the other direction. So cap rates, we probably want to buy a lower cap rate property not because we want to pay more per door, but we want to be in an environment where incremental NOI has a lot of leverage, not debt leverage, but a lot of leverage, cap rate leverage, in terms of driving value. So I mentioned a moment ago in the example an 8 cap. If you buy an 8 cap, then you're getting uh, a 12 and a half times Uh, multiplier on your NOI growth. So uh, grow NOI by a dollar and you add twelve and a half dollars in value. If you're in a five cap market and you grow NOI by that same dollar, you now get twenty dollars in incremental growth. That's that's a significant difference. What is that? I didn't do the math, but it's you know it's like sixty percent more growth for the exact same NOI dollar. So Looking at lower cap rate properties put us in an environment where we can have uh, more growth. Size, again, we're probably here, while we're going to like big properties, we're probably going to look at something where we can moderate uh, the amount of capital we have to put in so we really optimize the growth. So it might be a smaller property where there's a bigger value add opportunity. So it might not be a $5,000 value add, it might be a $10,000 value add that's really going to drive rents, maybe 15 or 20% or more. Uh, but it's not a huge amount of capital because we're doing it on a smaller number of, of uh, units. As compared with that 8-cap property that would be the same price where you'd have a lot of units that you'd be exposing that to. So the value add component could be different. And the source of those dollars is going to be different because if we're really focused on growth, I mean really, really focused on growth, we may take cash flow from the first handful of years, first year, second year, third year, and take those dollars and add those dollars to capital that we bring to the deal 
to fund the value add improvements. So the property is generating cash, but it's cash that we're reinvesting to drive value and the growth of the value of the asset. And then again, with the debt, we're looking for that same kind of flexible um, structure. And yes, if we can get a lower cost of capital, uh, that's great because it'll generate more cash and we can use that cash to invest in the property. But we also like the idea of amortizing debt, right? And it's possible we can structure an asset in which we would be amortizing fairly soon, if not right away, because when we pay down debt, when we pay principal and interest payments, we make anywhere from two to three or even four percent return on that principal payment. And again, that principal payment's getting funded by the rent income that we're generating from the tenants at the property. So it's not us foregoing those dollars, it's dollars being funded by um, rents. So there's two examples of how you could work towards the cash side of the equation, still having growth and still getting tax value, and how you could move towards the growth side of the equation. And yes, you would still generate some cash. Maybe you'd use some of that cash the first couple of years, but eventually you're going to be throwing off cash that's going to go back to whoever has fronted the capital for this. And you're going to continue to get tax benefits. So what about that third leg? What about tax? Is there a way to structure a deal that's tax heavy, that's focused on tax? Not as focused on cash, not as focused on growth, but that's really focused on tax. And I'm going to, so two answers. One is possibly. Somebody out there may have put deals together that are extraordinarily tax efficient and that are intentionally uh, structured in such a way that they're going to generate tax value back to the folks that are invested in that. I don't know because I've never done that. We're, we don't think it makes sense, especially in an environment where you're focused on security and stability. We don't think it makes sense to have tax lead a strategy. We think it's great once we have decided on a strategy to look at how we can take full advantage of all the tax uh, advantages that are out there. Every piece of the tax code that we can use, whether it's uh, the different uh, depreciation vehicles or acceleration of depreciation or uh, certain amortizations that we can take, uh, the write-off of interest, uh, and certainly 1031s that we uh, have often talked about. Uh, we want to look at taking advantage of all of those in every instance, but we're first going to start like we always do with security and stability. But then next, we're gonna either be focused on cash or growth or some balance, and then we'll take a look at tax. So uh, I don't know that there's a way to, to do that. Uh, maybe one of you knows it and is gonna shoot me an email and say, I know how to do that, and here's, here's how I've been a part of that. Um, it's just not something that we focus on as part of our modeling, so I don't have any first-hand experience to comment on from that standpoint. So part of what I hope you can take away from this, and again, whether you're building your own portfolio or, or looking to invest with someone like Maura Poling, or you're actually already one of our investors, or you're talking to me right now about potentially joining uh, Maura Poling as a, as a member, is that uh, Multifamily is not a monolithic investment. There is no such thing as, well, I'm invested in multifamily and therefore it looks like this. 
there are certainly some characteristics that are uniform and common across multifamily. Multifamily benefits from a shortage in uh, rental housing. It benefits from, uh, in many instances, a fixed supply that can't respond because of the economic uh, elements around uh, new construction. Uh, and yet there's growing demand. So there's a supply-demand imbalance. That's, that's true almost uniformly across multifamily. But when you really start dialing down to the places that we think make a lot of sense, where you can really take risk off the table and improve the likelihood of good returns, and especially over long periods of time, uh, quite exceptional returns, is that Goldilocks class. It's class B, it's the light value add, it's investing in quality markets, it's doing a whole host of things. And for our total return fund, we do that in a balanced method so that our members experience a, a positive cash experience and they have a positive wealth creation experience as well as taking advantage of the tax pieces that are out there. But that's not the only way to do it. You can, you can build investments, uh, and we have done this for, for some of our uh, clients that we work with, for example, on 1031s. Uh, we may build an investment for them that is more uh, growth-centric or cash-centric. Uh, and you can do that, but you can do that in a way that still stays within the boundaries of being a secure, stable, smart, multifamily investment. If you have questions about any of what you've heard today, feel free to shoot me an email. Again, pat at marapolling.com. Please check out the website. Like I said, we're going to have some new webinars posted in the next few days for you to register for. And please join me again next week for our next episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing. Mm -hmm.